oftentimes Brother James Hurd will come and lead us in prayer. Brother James and Mar Marguerite are worshiping with us at home this morning. But we're delighted to have Gail, their daughter, who is always our pianist, does a fabulous job. Gail is going to lead us in prayer and lead us in a time of worship following. Father, you are glorious. You are our breath and our life. You are everything that we need. You are Lord of this world. You are Lord of the universe. You are Lord of the coronavirus. You are Lord of our illnesses, our hurts, our weaknesses. You are the conquering king. You are mighty and powerful, and there is no one like you. And yet, because of your great love, you pursue a relationship with us. Father, we are humble to be in your presence. We are humbled that you want to communicate and have a minute-by-minute minute walk with us. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for giving us a rock and a strong tower. Lord, our world is sick. We are sick physically, Father with something that we've never seen before. Father, we are sick emotionally. We are distanced. We are alone. We are sick spiritually because we have forsaken you and we have lost our first love. But we know how this story ends, Lord. We know who has the victory. And we know that all things work together for good to those who are called according to your purpose and your plan. So Father, we ask this morning that you would strengthen us in our weaknesses. Father, that you would help us to release our fears into worship. And Lord God, we pray that you would draw us so close I thank you, Lord, that we can ask you for these things, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Thank you 
for loving us. Father, I pray this morning that there will be those who need to hear about you, about your love, and about the way you want to walk with us. And Lord Jesus, I pray for the pastor as he proclaims your word. And God, I just pray that you would make it so clear that those who are listening can hear and understand. Thank you for loving us. These things I pray in your name. Amen.
1934 was a year of confusion, crisis, and chaos. Hitler seized power in Germany while Americans and much of the world suffered an economic crisis of historic proportions. Fortunes were wiped out and banks were closing. It was in this climate of uncertainty that church musician Phoebe McKinney was ministering. He was in the middle of a revival meeting at First Baptist Church, Muskogee, Oklahoma, taking notes, but they weren't notes on the sermon. McKinney was frantically recording his thoughts on one burning question. How does the child of God respond in these difficult times? Later that evening in his hotel room, he could not sleep. Long into the night, he continued to work on the words until gradually they took lyrical form. And by the morning, he had completed the entire hymn, both words and music. A few years later, B.B. McKinney was asked to become music editor of the Southern Baptist Sunday School Board. His first collections of hymns, Songs of Victory, in 1937, included the hymn God inspired him to write during the Muskogee Revival. Of all the hymns B.B. McKinney wrote, this composition became one of the most popular and is considered by many his finest. What God inspired B.B. McKinney to write in response to fear and chaos of the times is as relevant now as it was then. Thank you, Jamie. The hymn that Jamie just was mentioning, written by B.B. McKinney, and all the songs we're singing this morning were written by B.B. McKinney, and they're written oftentimes in times of stress and turmoil and difficulty. This next hymn is a great hymn called Have Faith in God. Join us in singing, please. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely.
pray together. Father, we're so grateful. When our faith is strong, you answer that faith, and you answer our prayers as we have need. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship this morning. I pray now that as Janine comes to sing, that our hearts will continue to be lifted toward Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. David, I'm going to grab this over here. Welcome to online worship. We're so glad. Uh, make sure I put my... Alabama Mass there. Don't know if they're going to be playing. Don't know if we're going to have sports this fall. We might not have a lot of things this fall. So I do want to welcome our online audience. Uh, normally at this time we have...
children's sermon, and we gather the children up here on the stage, and um, I have a big bag of candy we scattered there on the ground, but um, <clears throat> Sherry and our, our children are up in, with well, Daniel Jr.'s in the sound booth, our children are in um, Newark, Ohio with Sherry's sister uh, up there, as well as um, the King family's on third pew, and so they receive the entire bag of candy I have. So that's certainly, they're excited about that, but um, <laughs> I, I told them I was going to call them out for it. You'll see a picture of that soon too. But we are, we are glad you are with us here online, and I do want to call attention to a couple things. We're going to have a special time of prayer um, if you were online, our, what happened? Our governor this week, a couple of things were announced. Uh, Friday, I believe it was David Hill's Friday afternoon, governor asked churches not to hold in-person services for two weeks. We want to be respectful for our, of our governor, so uh, we shifted back to online. You know, we've been, been what, two months having folks here at our 10 a.m. worship service since towards the end of May, so... Um, that was announced. Also, this past week, our, our, our children go to Fayette County Public Schools, and they announced they're starting school online. And that's a, that's a big burden, of course. And all, this, all these things affect church. It affects you online uh, and the folks here. And the reason why is because um, school and attendance and getting in a routine creates habits. And that's in many ways, your daily habits are how you can thrive spiritually and really grow spiritually as well. And it's challenging when uh, school year's not going on, then all of a sudden that obviously uh, affects churches as well. So uh, those are a couple of two, uh, big decisions. Be in prayer soon. We're going to have a Zoom deacons meeting with our chairman, David Humlong, with our staff, and just really decide about, about when to relaunch you know, we had originally said, I think, the 12th and the 16th of, of next month, but that might be a little too soon, especially with online school. It's going to be very challenging to get folks to come to children and youth and programming if consistency is not uh, built in other parts of their lives. So these are some big decisions uh, that are coming up here because I think folks are very anxious to get back to somewhat uh, normal here in church for sure. And actually have folks in the pews instead of preaching to cameras here. But I do, you know, we have to make the best of our situations. It's easy to complain and be critical about things. I certainly have been that way, but I have to pull back and say, hey, this is the season we're in. You have to remember uh, all throughout Christian history, folks have been in unfavorable times, unfavorable seasons, but you cling uh, to the gospel, you cling to Jesus Christ, and you make the best of your situation uh, given your circumstances with that. I want to uh, mention our online audience a couple things. Um, we, have a, we have a bulletin. We have an online bulletin. I'd like for somebody to share a link. And those that are here in the audience, we have bulletins there at the back of the Welcome Center. Uh, share a link to our uh, bulletin so you can follow along uh, with that. Also, uh, if, you, if you don't mind someone sharing a link for our giving, you know, we don't pass an offering plate now. Uh, we give online as well as we have our black boxes here in the Welcome Center. Uh, share a link you can give uh, online as well as you can certainly use text to give. That way, um, even during this unique season, you're able to certainly give and uh, participate in that part of worship. If you have your Bible and you're at home, gather around the TV. 
you're gathered around your iPad, your phone, I want you to pull out your Bible. And I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at two scriptures today. And while you turn there also, I want to, especially today since it's online as well as next week will be online too, I want you to hit share. You never know when you share our worship service, someone that you have no clue where they're at could actually see this service live and tune in and listen to the gospel. You never know they could give their lives to Christ. So our, our, um, our efforts as being diligent Christians is you can't really invite folks to church like you used to, but you can certainly share it on your Facebook or on your social media feed and uh, let folks know that you're, you and your family worship the Lord. We're in John chapter 14, and then we're going to flip over in our Bibles, and we're going to look at John chapter 20. So those are the two parts we're going to be looking at. John 14, John chapter 20. And I believe today's message is going to speak to a lot of us because when we see the disciples, we see guys like Peter, just a real bold man, uh, just flamboyant, just he speaks out, he's uh, just passionate. We see guys like John, who's ready to call down fire from heaven. His nickname was the Sons of Thunder. We see guys such as James, who is a martyr, first uh, first disciple who was killed for his faith. We see these disciples, see folks even like Andrew, when there's a problem, he's going to find a little boy with five loaves and two fish. They'll say, hey, Jesus, what can we do with this? Why don't you multiply it? Uh, any, we see a variety of these more common, commonly well-known disciples, and we don't realize that there's some lesser-known disciples. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Today's message, this is part of a sermon series called Broken Team, how Jesus has taken people who were broken, and he all of a sudden molds and makes them disciples and followers of, of him. These three disciples today are the ones that a lot of us do not know much about. And the scriptures are very silent on them. But I think there's some biblical principles for us that we can certainly glean from these passages. In many ways, we identify more. A lot of us, a lot of you online, are going to identify more with these disciples than the Peters and the James and the Johns. The ones that we're, Matthews, the tax collectors, the ones that we're very accustomed to. These are what I call the behind-the-scenes guys. These are the guys, I'm looking at the guys behind the camera right now in the sound booth. These are the sound booth guys, disciples. You don't see them, you don't hear a lot about them, but they are right there making things happen. They're the ones, um, just they're, they're, they come to work, you, they, it's just a daily grind, and they make the world go around. And that's what we're about to see here. Maybe you online, maybe the folks who are here in the pews this morning, a few folks who got here, maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person. Nobody really knows what you do. You just keep a low profile. Nobody even knows you're at church this morning because they can't see you. So I want you to look at this here. But the first one here, I want to just tell you about him because all we know about him really is his name. His name is Simon the Zealot. And the reason he's called that is because he was someone who was part of the Zealot 
political party. A zealot means he was very, he had a lot of zeal, a lot of passion. And you certainly turn on the, the news today, you certainly turn on the TV, and you see very passionate people. And there's a lot of zealots all around us right now. They're passionate about our country. They're passionate about the upcoming election. They're passionate about their social justice revolutionary calls. They're passionate about maybe sports. Baseball started this past week. And you see a lot of people who are very, they believe in their calls. And that's all around us. I mean, we're very, uh, we live in a very cause-oriented culture right now. Well, apparently there was this man. All we know is this guy's name. His name was Simon the Zealot, part of the Zealot Party. Jesus chose this man who was known to be a part of a revolutionary party. And you say, well, what do you mean the Zealots? What, were, what was their political party about? We have to remember, during the time of Jesus, you had Israel which was Jewish. It is Jewish. But over them was the Roman Empire, Caesar. So Caesar collected taxes and provided security for Israel. Well, there was this group called the Zealots. Well, they did not like Roman rule. So they were always trying to overthrow or oppose or refuse to pay taxes or just go against whatever uh, the Roman authorities and the taxes that were being collected. Well, Simon was part of that. Simon the Zealot. Remember, there's Simon Peter, and then there's Simon the Zealot. We know nothing, very little. All we know is about Simon the Zealot's his name. And the thing about being zealous, part of the Zealot party, is you want to make sure that if you're going to be zealous about something, you want to first make sure it's the right thing. Are you zealous about What's, do you have zeal about what is right? Meaning, if you're going to put a lot of energy and effort towards something in your life, is it glorifying God? Is it advancing the gospel? Is it honoring the Lord what you're doing? And I think that's really the question we have to ask. The amount of my, the time I'm, I spend... Is it time honoring to God? Think about even how you spend your free time. The movies you watch. The amount of time you spend on social media. The amount of time you spend watching the news. Are you just allowing life to pass by you? And you're passionate. You have a lot of desires but it's not towards the Lord. It's towards following and watching stuff that's useless. You can look at how someone spends their time and I can tell you what they're passionate about. I can. I can look at your 24 hours in each day and then through that week and that will tell you what you're passionate about. Do you know my, my cell phone, I get an update every Sunday at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings usually getting ready to walk out the door to come to church. And it's a screen time update of how much time I spent on my phone, how much time I spent on social media, how much time I spent uh, 
just playing on the phone, doing stuff on the phone. And it will tell you, you spent four hours, an average of four hours a day, on your phone. Now think about it. There's 24 hours. And sadly, that's about where I'm at. You'd be surprised if you set it up on your phone. And it will tell you you're up 39%, you're down 15%. Every time you're on your phone, whether you're talking to someone, whether you're texting, you'll find out of 24 hours, you spent four of those hours. Do you know that's roughly a tithe? That is. I mean, basically, I tithe my time to my phone. And that shows where someone's, someone's time, what they're zealous about. I want to tell you what else I saw, saw about being zealous. I drove up, had to take Sherry up to uh, Columbus where her sister lives. We would pick up a new, new van or used van. And I dropped her off at the van place, got her van. She drove over to see her sister and I headed back. Well, I was headed back, it was, it was on Friday night. Well, what happened Friday night? The Cincinnati Reds opened their season. Well, I was driving through Cincinnati while the Reds were playing. And there was about the seventh, eighth inning. And remember, there's no fans in the stands. So I pull over. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's weird. You've got opening day in Cincinnati. You're playing against the Tigers. Very first game of the season. Here we are at the end of July, opening day. Well, I pull over. It's about 8.30 at night. And I was listening to the game on the radio coming down, I-71. And I pull over. And I thought, well, I'm just going to walk up and just say, I came to opening day. Well, I walk up to Great American Ballpark, park the car. Normally, it's like 15, 20 bucks a park. I park the car, David, for only $3. I mean, great discounts are going on. Very few people were there. And I walk up to the park, but there were some people there. This is no joke. I even took, sound team, put these pictures here. This is, this is where I went up to the gate. I, got one, I have one more picture. Uh, the next picture here, I hope our online crowd can zoom in and see this stuff. You can actually... Look through the gate. And there's all the screens that were in the little lobby area were on. So you could actually watch the game from outside the gate at the park. I mean, it's opening day. So this is what's going on, David, at the Great American Ballpark. There were people, quite a few, dressed in their Cincinnati Reds. They brought their chairs. They brought food. They were lined up at this gate looking through. Now, they, I, went, I was there for an inning and a half. They spent nine innings peeking through the metal gate watching the Reds on a screen. And you're like, you could actually hear, um, hear the bats and hear the gloves catch. And they're out there cheering. Guys, that's zeal. That's zealous. That's like, here at Online Church, you love the Lord. You're so passionate about being at church on Sunday. The doors are locked. But you said, I'm going to be there. So you go park in that parking lot out back. And you roll the windows down and you're listening on your phone. And you're in the parking lot saying, Amen, brother. Amen. That's a wonderful song. B.B. McKinney. I mean, you're just cheering along. That's zeal. That is what Simon the Zealot was like. He's passionate about a political party. Some of you online, you are more passionate about saving America 
than saving a lost soul going to hell. The people out in the parking lot said amen to that. They're out there in their cars. God wants to redirect your zeal to one being passionate about Jesus. If guys can line up and watch a baseball game through a metal gate and the park's not even open and they're cheering along, you can have that same zeal for the Lord. And that's about a, that's about a game. This is about an eternal destiny. Things that matter forever. Look in your Bibles here. Next person. That's Simon the Zealot. We know nothing about him. Next gentleman here. Next disciple. The lesser known disciples is called Thaddeus. Thaddeus, he also has another name. A lot of these guys had two or three names. He was called Judas, son of James. The reason why probably they didn't call him Judas was because there's another Judas we're going to be looking at next week. Judas Iscariot. So this guy was called Judas, but they called him Thaddeus. He actually had another name too. And what happened is he's known for the question he asked Jesus. He asked Jesus, of all the disciples, this is the last question that the disciples asked our Lord. So turn in your Bibles here. John chapter 14, verse 22. It says here, Judas, not Iscariot, so this is also known as Thaddeus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world. Now, what had just happened here, Jesus just went through a sermon and sharing about how he's going to reveal himself to the disciples. He's going to make himself known. Now, what Jesus was talking about was he's talking about the upcoming crucifixion and then the resurrection. Because remember, Jesus took these 12 men. Jesus was not a revolutionary leading a political movement. He was investing his life and his ministry, into these men here, these 12 men, who then he knew, with the power of the Holy Spirit, continuing all the way today in 2020, will go out and change the world. That's what we have in our life. When you become a believer, you have the same Holy Spirit that was given to these 12 disciples. So he asked this question, because Thaddeus thought, why do we have to keep this a secret? If this is the greatest movement in the world, if you are the Messiah, Jesus, if you came to save the world, don't we need to let the world know? Like, why are we being quiet? So that, it's, a, it's actually a really good question. The last question here is a great one that the disciples asked about the deus. Why do we need to keep this a secret? Look what Jesus said, verse 23. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. What he just said, Jesus says, Those who keep my word. Those who take the words that I say to Deus and they cling to them. That is what I want. I want you not to go out and start a big revolution 
and overthrow the Roman Empire, I want you, disciple, to keep my word. Church member, believer, Jesus is asking you that. Will you, are you, keeping His word? Because Jesus knew, if you cling to my words, if you take these words, then, shortly, the Holy Spirit will come after the resurrection. And He will empower you with the knowledge of Jesus' words and what his, the work He came to do. Die on a cross and be resurrected. And then the p- empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You get those two things. Belief in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. You get those together. You're going to change the world. So at the dais, that's how we change this world. My word changes people, not politics. We will not save America with politics. We won't. We will not. We will not end the coronavirus with politics. We will not bring back the good old days through legislation. Jesus is speaking to you and I this morning. And He's saying, are you keeping and clinging to My Word? That is Thaddeus. That's his one question. He wanted to know, why are we not launching a full-scale campaign? Alright, flip over in your Bible now. Last one. That's the main one I wanted to talk about this morning. So I really want you to pay attention. I want you to look at this passage. Because you know this guy. His name's Thomas. You know him as Doubting Thomas. This is the evangelistic message. If you back in the And you could attend revival back when we had revival services. We had one last fall. But if we had a revival service, the evangelist comes in town and he preaches on Doubting Thomas. This is about making that rededication. We know this disciple because what he did. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, this is after the resurrection. Thomas was not with the other other disciples when Jesus appeared to them. Thomas was someone who really struggled with believing Jesus is alive. He saw the man dead on a cross. People who die do not come back to life again. So in many ways, we identify with Thomas. We know Hey, if the man's dead, if he's been buried in a tomb, he's not coming back. So all of a sudden, when he hears the breaking news that, all the, that now Jesus is alive, he doubts the other disciples. He does not believe them. So I want you to look here in your Bible. John twenty twenty four. But Thomas, called twin... That meant the word Didymus was used to describe him. He had a twin. We don't know anything about his twin. But he had a twin, either brother or sister. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. What a passionate statement. 
You go up, you've spent three years with this man. He just died. Three days later, he's appeared to the disciples. And what a, they come to Thomas and say, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. And I want to tell you, this is the typical response that we will give when we hear things initially we do not believe. But he asked, but he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's a pretty bold statement. Thomas just heard this breaking news and he says, disciples, I do not believe you. Until I could put my hands, my finger in his hands, and in his side, I will never, never was used. I don't believe it. You're lying to me. That's essentially what he called the other disciples. You've seen a ghost. It's a delusion. You don't know what you're talking about. A week later, so for one week, Thomas goes on. And he does not believe Jesus is alive. He was an unbeliever in the resurrection for one week. week. Week later, his disciples were indoors again. And Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. One of the great things about the resurrection of Jesus is... His body was transformed and different. He did not have to open doors. He walked right through the door. He just came on in to meet with them. And he walks in, and that's a standard greeting in first century. Peace be with you. That's saying, hello, how's everyone doing? May the Lord bless you today. God bless you. And then, He's looking at his disciples. Probably what we know in the book of Acts. The disciples met in the upper room every day after the resurrection. And because Jesus wasn't with them all, all 40 days. And they're praying and they're talking about seeing the Lord. And he walks in. And looks straight at Thomas. He greets him. And he goes straight. Now remember, Thomas was not there the first time he appeared. He looked at Thomas and he said, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe, or as this translation, Christian Standard Bible says, don't be faithless, but believe. Stop doubting. Stop being faithless. Jesus is confronting Thomas's faithlessness. Thomas is doubting the power of the Lord. He's struggling with his belief. And he's asking for a recommitment. This is what a rededication looks like. Jesus is coming to you and say, you were so bold, 
so strong at one point in your life, and all of a sudden you have fallen to the wayside. You have abandoned your first love. You've become cynical. Look at this. I've got some things up here on the screen. I want you to zoom in and look at this. This is, this is what happens when we are like Thomas. Do not go around saying, I don't know. Have you ever answered? Do you answer a lot of questions that way? I don't know. I don't know. And it's just this non-answer. The problem with going around saying, I don't know, of course we don't want to lie. But you, you find yourself being this person who can't make a decision, who won't even bother to look for the answer. Thomas went one week. When he was confronted about a resurrection, resurrected Jesus, he just threw his shoulders up and said, I'm not going to believe. I'm just going to go about my day. And I'm just going to live this next week. The rest of my life is a doubter. Even though I spent three years with these guys, even though I witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from dead, I do not believe he could be resurrected himself. I don't know is when you basically say, I'm not even going to make the effort to find the truth. When you don't make any effort to seek after God, to find the truth, and you become an I don't know person, you're, you're in the camp of, of Thomas. Look it up here. We live in a cynical Doubting Thomas world. Distrust is everywhere. And Jesus wants to rescue us from this type of world. This cynical where you just, every time you hear something, you don't give people the benefit of the doubt. You don't believe their words. That's a dangerous point. Cynicism is dangerous. It will, it's it's, it's under, undercurrent of negativity that will streamline throughout your thought life and you, it affects your spiritual life. You will become like a doubting Thomas. You just don't trust anyone. Don't trust your family. Don't trust God. Don't trust your church. Don't even trust me. Don't trust anyone in politics. Don't trust your employment. You go your, you live your life a life of distrust. God is asking you and I this morning, to hold people in their word. If they say something, just say, hey, if that's what you say, I believe you. God calls us to be men and women of honesty. You can't go around saying I'm an honest man if you don't trust anyone. Because what's happening, you're setting yourself up to say, I am the only one with truth. All these other people everywhere are just conspiracy theories. They're liars. I know facts. That's what Thomas was doing. He was saying, you other disciples, y'all live in la-la land. I know the truth. You don't. And that is a dangerous, precarious situation for you to be in with your spiritual life. The last thing is here. If your whole attitude is an I don't know attitude, you are just like doubting Thomas. Do not be an I don't know Christian. Jesus is calling us to seek the truth, to seek after him, to have faith. When you have faith in Jesus, 
you're saying, Jesus, I might not understand all the answers. I don't know what's going on with coronavirus. I have no clue what's going on in this entire world and this, our country we live in. There's a lot of uncertainty. I don't know how to handle online internet school, internet church, whatever this stuff is. But Lord, I trust you. That is what Jesus is asking of you this morning. He's calling and asking for you to trust him. He said to Thomas, back to verse 27, stop doubting and believe. Put your hand, put your finger in my hands. Go put your hand in my side. Look at these holes. Look at, you can see inside my body. I haven't had surgery. The whole holes and the wounds are still there from the cross. Thomas responded, verse 28, Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. He recommitted his life to Christ. Some of you need to do that today. You need to make a recommitment. You have given God an I don't know. You have been living your life as distrustful, cynical. Just an arrogant attitude as everyone else is wrong, only I'm right. No one gets the benefit of the doubt. And Jesus Christ is rescuing Thomas from that mindset. And he wants to rescue you and your family as well. Jesus said, last verse, verse 29. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What that means is Jesus says, Thomas, you just don't realize The blessing it is that you have seen the resurrected Christ. And blessed are those that will believe in me decades and centuries later and they've never seen me. They're even more blessed. And that's us today. You are blessed when you believe in Jesus I want to read this out of the newspaper from this morning. The last, in closing here. Then we'll have our time of prayer for, for the nation. This, is a, this morning's sports section. It says, Michigan State coach Tom Izzo, Izzo, I think that's how you pronounce it, does not wake up each morning these days ready to attack the world's rim. He's the basketball coach of Michigan State, a good, good ball program. I get up, and this is what he said, I get up every day with no sense of purpose. That's what head coach Thomas O says. I get up every day, no sense of purpose. He said of his life and what has become the new normal. And there's another quote here from another basketball coach, Houston coach Kelvin Sampson. If you remember what, not this past year, but the NCAA tournament from two years ago, Kentucky beat Houston. He knows the feeling and believes his colleagues do, too. He says, I think you wake up every day a little bit lost. Tom Azo and Kelvin Sampson, those two basketball coaches, that article there is about the uncertainty of the upcoming NCAA basketball season. They feel lost. They don't know what to do. In many ways, that was Thomas. We live in a culture and a time where a lot of people, including you online, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of lostness. But we have a Messiah. We have a Savior who said, stop doubting and believe. 
reach out your hands, your fingers. Put them in my hand. Put them in my side. Stop being faithless. And I'm asking you this morning, and folks in the sanctuary today, Jesus is telling you to stop being faithless. He's calling us to faith in God. Faith in God means, during a pandemic, that we do not live by fear. We do not live by this uncertainty all around us. Our home is in heaven. We know as believers where we're going to go in case we were to die of the coronavirus or we die of natural causes. Or Jesus comes back this afternoon. We're ready to be at home in the presence with the Lord. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to first, this prayer has two parts. I'm going to pray for this pandemic. I'm going to pray for our nation. I'm going to pray that this ends, that we find a vaccine, that we get, we get back a, more of a routine in our life. But then the second part of this prayer is going to be for you to stop doubting and believe. You can give your life to Jesus this morning. You don't need to go through faithless. You don't need to be like Thomas. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Even our online crowd, if you're there at home, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to pray that I want you to pray and respond to Jesus. He called for Thomas to respond. He's calling for you to respond. Jesus, I pray for our nation. I pray for this world as we are battling the coronavirus. Lord, it's devastating all areas of life. There's no consistency. Folks have lost their jobs. Schools aren't meeting. Churches aren't meeting. Folks are doing stuff they would never normally do. They're, in, they're, not, they're, they're out of their normal patterns. And many folks have gotten out of the habit of going to church, attending worship, reading their Bibles. Lord, I pray that you will, you will heal our nation. You will convict believers and draw us to you. And realize during seasons of uncertainty, we have certain faith. A firm faith in you. Lord, I pray for doctors and researchers as they're looking for a vaccine. I pray we find one soon. I pray for the upcoming school years. I pray for the upcoming church year. I pray for those that are sick. I pray for uh, the many believers that are just wondering, God, what are you doing? What is happening? Lord, we might never know on this side of heaven why you allowed the coronavirus. But Lord, we pray you use the coronavirus for a great movement, for a great revival in our land. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that needs to stop doubting and believe, I pray they will pray this prayer of faith and they will recommit their life to you. Dear Jesus, Remove my doubt. Save my soul. Make me a disciple. I give you my life. I ask for forgiveness. I'm yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to look up. I want you to look up online. If you prayed that prayer, you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Just like Thomas, you have stopped doubting You've stopped living a faithless life. He had one for one week. 
and you've placed your faith in Jesus. I want to hear from you. Send our church Facebook page a message. Send me an email called church office. I want to hear that it's about the decision. I trust the Lord is going to do mighty things this week. We will meet back next week here online. We'll have our online service. We'll be talking about how God allowed a man named Judas Iscariot to stay for three years with Jesus and he never became a believer. I'm going to invite David Dell to come back. He, we're going to have a closing song. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for being here with us. I hope to hear about your decision here at Broadway. We're going to close the service this morning by singing the chorus to Wherever He Leads I'll Go. Wherever He leads I'll go God will be with you as you go about your business this week.